This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Uh, in preparation for God's Word, uh, to be preached to us by Pastor Andrew Wong, so I'll be reading a portion of the scripture passage from Genesis 1 and 2. So please do take the opportunity to take your phone or mobile app or to take your Bible out and to flip it to Genesis 1 and 2. So I'll be, we'll be jumping a few verses here and there. Feel free to follow. But if not, yeah, you can, you're welcome to refer to the projection here up front. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was all over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the dark. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the water to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the waters under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. Chapter 1, verse 24. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. But saw all that he has made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, 
You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat from it, you will certainly die. The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper to the Lord for him. This is the word of God. Well, very good morning to everyone. It is a joy to be with uh, each other physically. And since we can't shake hands, why don't we look around and give a big wave to uh, appreciate each other's presence that we can actually see each other. That's where, um, imagine having Kalang wave with no sound, but um, this is as good as we can get for now. But we thank God that we can be here. Now, over these two Sundays, we've just finished First Peter, and we are going to think about two questions that might come up in conversations about religion or Christianity. Perhaps as Good Friday and Easter approaches, these questions may come up when Christians invite you to church or when you invite friends or families to various Easter events. So the two questions we're going to think about these two weeks is this. The first one is, why bother with God? And the second question is, why bother with Jesus? We'll look at the first question today and the second next Sunday. Now, before we begin, can I invite us to ask God to help us? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your written word that we may know you and ourselves better. Now, this is a strange question for a Christian to ask because we stand in wonder of why you will bother with us. But nevertheless, please help us to better understand our relationship with you so that we may humbly but faithfully discuss these questions when we are faced with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold this truth to be self-evident that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day the Red Hills of Georgia, sons of former slaves and sons of former slave owners, will be able to sit together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day down in Alabama, with his vicious racist and his governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification, one day right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will be able to join hands with little white boys and white girls as sisters and brothers. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted, every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be plain, the crooked places will be made straight, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. This speech by Martin Luther King Jr. on August 28, 1963, on the steps of Lincoln Memorial, would eventually be sealed as one of the greatest speech of mankind. The hearts were stirred when King shouted, We hold the truth to be self-evident that all men are created equal. 
and people will not be judged by the color of their skin. As humans, every one of us want to know that our lives matter. In a world where people do not always live with the same comfort or wealth or health or safety or acceptance, we want to know that each of us matter. We matter regardless of our gender, regardless of our age, regardless of our nationality, our education, our popularity, our past, that somehow all of us are created equal and we have equal values. But unfortunately, this desire is not one that science can explain or provide. Now, science can tell us we are roughly made out of the same substances. Maybe some of us have more substance than others. But science cannot explain why the speech resonates with people, especially those who felt that their lives did not matter. This morning, we asked a huge question, why should we bother with God? And I'd like to invite us to consider three reasons. The first reason is this, that deep in our human nature, we want to know that our lives do matter. That's why the speeches like this resonate with humans. Well, the second reason is this, that deep in our human nature, we want to know why we even exist, our purpose. In a deeply personal and thought-provoking book, Viktor Frankl, he's the survivor of the Elswatch concentration camp in World War II, he wrote this when he survived. He said this, those who have a why to live can bear with almost anyhow. But those who want to survive the Nazi concentration camp, they need a why in order to survive the impossible how. Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, speaks volume because as humans, we long for more than just food and water. We want to have a reason to live. In fact, at some point in your journey and my journey, we will ask, why are we here for? Why am I doing what I am doing? Now, all of us, consciously or unconsciously, long to find the meaning and grab hold of the purpose of our lives. We'll look and dress in a certain way, we'll get certain jobs. We want to have an identity and we want to have a purpose. Why am I here? Why are you here? Again, this is a question that science cannot solve. Science can tell us how our bodies function. My wife who's a physicist, tells me that a big part of her week is to explain to people how their bodies function and how to cure my pain. In fact, science will tell us that we have great potentials as we read amazing stories of ultra-marathoners who would travel or run 5,000 kilometers to test the extreme of their bodies. And they would train their bodies and arrive every summer at Queens, New York to do the race. Yet science cannot tell us what is our human purpose. Professor John Lennox, in a lecture on creation design, he quotes the late Peter Madawan. He was a Nobel Prize scientist who said this, and I quote him, he said this, the existence of a limit to science is made clear by its inability to answer childlike elementary questions having to do with the first and last things. Questions such as, how did everything begin? Why are we all here for? What is the purpose, what is the point of living? 
And dear friends, deep in our human nature, we desire to know why we even exist. The third reason to consider why should we bother with God is this, that deep in our human nature, we desire meaningful and lasting relationships. Now, why do we sing songs about eternity, even though some people don't believe in God? Why do we want to take photos, build tombstones or monuments to capture relationships and memories of people who have left us? Why do we grieve when we lose a loved one? Now, this week, I was pondering hard about grief, and this poem by Rachel Joyce popped up on my screen. I want to read this to you. This is her words, her poem. Let me read to you. That I miss her all the time. I know in my head that she has gone. The only difference is that I am getting used to the pain. It is like discovering a great hole in the ground. To begin with, you forget it's there and keep falling in. After a while, it's still there, but you learn to walk around it. Griefs are not easy to be removed. We long for loving relationships that will last and will not end. Now, this morning, as we consider this big question, why should we be bothered with God? I want to invite us to step into the Bible to ponder what the Bible has to say with regards to these three human desires. That whether we are religious or we are not, that as humans we have that inner desire to know that our lives matter, that we have a purpose, and the desires that's deeply seated in us for relationships. Now, if you're not a Christian, you may be surprised. Perhaps you're a Christian, you still may be surprised that the Bible will tell us that we can never understand the story of humanity without first knowing the story of God or to know God himself. Because unlike our world, our world tells us that our identity, our purpose should be discovered by us and perhaps subjectively defined by us, be who you think you are. But the Bible tells us that our identity and our purpose are not discovered, they are revealed to us and they are objectively designed by God. The Bible begins by telling us that everything are designed by God the Creator. And so can I invite you to look at the very first line of the Bible. This is what it says in Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, one of the most important descriptions about God right at the start of the Bible is that God is the creator and not a creation. I want to invite you to imagine with me a painting by Van Gogh. Uh, I wonder if you have seen this famous painting from 1888, an oil painting called Cafe, Terrace, and Night. Have you seen this painting before? Yeah, the children have. Perhaps many of us have. In, in this beautiful painting, just look at it for a moment. You can see little figures of people drinking. There were lanterns there, the light, the terrace. And there is this whole gabbles of houses on the street that leads away under the beautiful blue sky with beautiful stars. Now, as you look at this painting, you may not see Van Gogh in it, but he is the creator and the painter of this. The Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible tells us that God 
the creator God himself is an uncreated. You find many other passages in the Bible talking about the difference between creator and creation. John 1, Hebrews 11, Revelation 4. Now, as we go through Genesis 1, we read a carefully created world being described. Verse 2 goes on and says this, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness He called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Now, if you actually have a Bible and you flip it open in Genesis 1, you will find a consistent description of God's creation in this whole chapter. It always begins with God saying, let there be, and it happened. And with each creation made for its purpose, God then says, it is very good. It is good. So as God creates the world and everything, He describes His creation as good. And then each category, He will end off saying that it was evening, there was morning, it's the first, second, third, and fourth day, and so on. In this passage, the creation account continues. And if you have your Bible, you'll find the pattern going through in verse 9, verse 11, verse 14, verse 20, verse 24, finally verse 27, each beginning with God said, and creation happens. Now, this beautiful description of creation in Genesis 1, some people have mistakenly placed it under next to a science textbook and think that the Bible was a Christian science textbook. And this is a great pity. Because the moment you think and try to measure the Bible as a science textbook, we totally miss out the point of how that creation order was meant to prepare us to understand the rest of the Bible. That there is a created God and nothing in our world is an accident. Everything created has a purpose. You have a purpose, I have a purpose. We have purposes. And all things we admire are beautiful, created, and kept for by God. Now, there was a Hebrew poet by the name David. And he sang this song, 1000 BC. And I want to read part of it to you. David sang this in Psalms 19, verse 4. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other, and nothing is deprived of its warmth. Now, here's the backdrop. While David's, um, in, in David's world, people worship the sun, the moon, the constellation, they worship humans. David says to God's people, the sun is not a god. But rather, the sun is made by God with the purpose to provide warmth for yours and mine survival. Now David, he wasn't writing a poem that is a science textbook. He is writing about the good purpose of the sun. But even more than that, he's writing about a creator who made the sun, who cared for the sun, and gives it the purpose to warmth us, you and me. So when we read a creation account in the Bible, you know, it is uh, distinctly different from all the other isms that you have in our world today. Those who call pantheism, they suggest the world is just God. 
Panatheism, they will say, and argue the world and God are different, but they are interdependent. Or atheism basically says there is no God. Now, why do we spend so much time right this morning trying to understand the relationship between the Creator and the creation? Well, it's because that we cannot discover our own worth, our own purpose, and our deep-seated desires by discovering them. Even Stephen Hawking, the famous theorist, theoretical physicist, cosmologist, atheist, this is what Stephen Hawking says. I want to quote him. He says this, Our universe and its laws appear to have a design that both is tailor-made to support us, and if you are to exist, leaves little room for alteration. What he's saying is that if you have changed the world just slightly, you and I might not survive. Everything is, create, uh, is, is there in such a fitting block for our survival. Now, Hawkins, he doesn't believe in revelation. He only believes in discovery. And he cannot accept that there is a personal creator God. And so his search must carry on with or without him. That is for Hawkins. But that is not so for Christians. Because for Christians, while we can happily agree what science has discovered and explain how things function, we know that we can only turn to the creator God to tell us why things are what it is. Our purpose. The why question. Now take the beautiful picture of Van Gogh that you had uh, right here. You know what we can do? We can discover its composition. We can find out what, what materials and chemicals made the colors that make this painting amazing. But what we can't do by staring at this painting is to tell us why the Van Gogh painted it. We have to ask the painter and creator himself. So for us to get answers, we have to turn to the creator who made us. We need to be bothered with God to want the answers. What we need is not to know how God made us. What we need is to know why God made us. Here's why we come to uh, in Genesis 1 in verse 26 to 31. And this is the climax of the creation account. And this is where we will come to understand our worth, our purpose, and our desires for lasting relationships. So maybe I can invite you to look at Genesis 1, 26 to 31 with me. If you have your Bible, you can flip it or you can follow me on screen. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, after God has created everything from verses 3 to 25, after creating the constellation, the, the animals, the vegetations, everything in his orderly manner, he comes to the climax of creation and he says that God made humankind. If you just stare at these verses for, with me for a while, notice what is being emphasized here. 26, God made mankind in his own image. 
And again, verse 27, God created mankind in what? In His own image. And for poetic emphasis, He said again, in the image of God, He created them male and female. He created them. Now, dear friends, it is a mistake if you are to flip to the Bible and think that it is a science or biological textbook. Because the focus in the Bible is not biology, it is identity. Humans, we are made in the image of God. We are made to relate with an eternal God for eternity. We need to know and be bothered with God because we are made in God's image. Now, dear friends, why do hearts beat faster when King gave the I Have a Dream speech, telling everyone that life matters? Now, how did having a purpose in life help Viktor Frankl survive the Nazi concentration camp where, with a lack of purpose, we fall under midlife crisis? Maybe the young people haven't felt it yet. Those who are older, you might know what I mean. Why do we crave relationships so much? The scores of music and movies are being made and we pay, watch them, and hear them. Why do we write history so that we are not forgotten? Or crave memorials to link the past, our present, and our future together? My rabbit doesn't care who was the previous ancestors and he doesn't bother with visiting monuments that talk about rabbit histories. But we do. We pay tons of money, we pay tons of our time to think about all these things. Why are we the only species that will spend our whole life seeking significance on things that doesn't feed our stomach? That people will spend their lives painting, writing songs. There are so many, so many, like Van Gogh, artists who paint because they want to express things. You know what Van Gogh was? He, he painted 2,000 great paintings in his lifetime, and his whole life, he sold only one painting. That's all. But this is what Van Gogh says in his exasperation. I want to read to you what Van Gogh says. He says this in his anguish. I can't change the fact that my paintings don't sell. But the time will come when people will recognize they are worth more than the value of the paints used in the picture. You know what's Van Gogh's description? It's the description of you and I as well, that we do not want to be recognized just on the substance that we are made up of because we seek to recognize that we are worth much more than all these external, even materials that we are made of. We are worth more, and we have more purpose than merely breathing another breath of air to survive. And one of the most uh, frightening, some say it's rumor, many say it's true, uh, news that circulated during World War II is that the Nazis produced soaps from the bodies of the inmates. And someone told me in the first service, and hair to make your socks. The actual hearing of such a description brings shivers down our spines because that is not how we view life. We'll spend hundreds and thousands of dollars when someone passed away to have a funeral and to remember them because they are worth more 
than just the substance that they are made of. We can't avoid asking questions like, why is human life so precious? Why are we here? Why do we long for perfect relationships? Well, the reason the Bible gives us is that unlike other creatures, our human value is found in us being in God's image. We are created for an eternal relationship with an eternal God. And we are given a purpose. See what God says in verse 26, 28. God said, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. <laughs> Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, while you and I may not be the strongest, the fastest, or longest living creature, here's the thing. We are given charge over the world, and this is by no accident. Rather, this is part of God's intention because every life is equally precious because we are made in God's image, and the original purpose for us is to be fruitful, to multiply, and to rule over the world on God's behalf. So perhaps it's not surprising that King's speech, I have a dream, even President Kennedy that says that we will fly to the moon, stir up the whole nation, that they will subdue even places that their hands could not reach because that is in our nature. Now, finally, we must not miss out that in this creation account, there is a relationship between God, between humans, and between the rest of creation. Now, God made us in His image to rule and care for the world that he has made. It's almost like the king who has given all, almost all the authority to the prime minister, that he can do anything he wants, less one. That he has power over all things, less one. And that's the king. And to show further how this relationship works, this is what the Bible says in verse 29. Can I invite you to look at that with me? Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food and all the bees of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it. I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all he had made and it was very good. Now, everything that God has made was good up to this point he says, after he has created humans and put all things in his purpose and give us a purpose, he says, this is very good. And God calls humans, you and I, very good. And it's not a subjective command that your teacher comes and says, oh, good job, you're good, subjective. No, it's not. It's objectively good because he has given us a purpose. So from a physical perspective, we are no different from perhaps the rest of creation, we need food to survive, water to drink, oxygen to uh, keep going. Our compositions are not much different. But from an identity perspective, we are God's representative to subdue, to rule, to care for the world that he has made. Now, dear friends, we started with this question. Why bother with God? I wonder if you ask this question yourself. Why do I need to bother with God? Well, the answer by the Bible are this. First of all, we are made in God's image, so we do need to be bothered with God. We are given the purpose to rule the world on God's behalf. And we are created for perfect and lasting relationships 
with God, with each other, and with the world. And so it is only in knowing God that our value, our purpose, our desires can find answers. We can't discover them. They have to be revealed to us. Now, as we round up part one of our series, you may ask this question, but Andrew, if I look around this world, it doesn't look that perfect. What has gone wrong? What do I found ourselves in a hot mess of confused identity, of purpose, of relationships? Why do I feel so hurt by people at various points of my life and I still long for a better and more perfect relationship? Well, there are more in the Bible that we can cover in this morning, but here's one last crucial detail as we round up that we need to know between God and creation. I want to invite us to look at one last passage today. And Andrew has read it for us just now from Genesis 2, 15 to 17. Let me read it for us. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work, to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Everything was created good. Humans were very good. Humans were given the freedom to do anything and to eat almost anything. Less one. He was the prime minister. He can do anything. He's in command of everything. Less one. And this is where the problem comes. The only restriction that God had given humans is they must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is a command that separates God from God's image barriers. To be reminded that we are not God. But to this, the first human chose. They chose not to bother with God. They tried to be God. And so Genesis 3, 6 tells us the man and his wife took the food God had forbidden and they ate them. And from that moment onwards, the relationship between God and all his creations are broken. God and God's image barrier, the relationship is broken. The relationship between humans and humans are broken. Our relationship with the rest of the world are broken. Because we decide to take on that one thing that we are not supposed to take. And it is in this hot mess and confusion that we need a solution and so we need to come to next week's question. And that question is, why should we bother with Jesus? And the hint is that Jesus is God's solution to all the brokenness that the world has, including ours. So I'd like to invite us to come back next week to consider this second question. But if you find that you can't wait, you can always come and speak to me after the service or pick up one of this book called Original Jesus. I put them right outside the hall. You can just pick one as, as you head back uh, to think about this question. But I would like to invite us to think of this together. I know it's kind of a cliffhanger, but I hope that this first question is enough for us to think so that next week when we think of the second question, it is worth all this weight that we know that this is the second and last chance God provides. Will you pray with me as we close? Dear God, Heavenly Father, we 
are so thankful that you revealed that we are made in your image. We are worth everything. We thank you that we are given a purpose to be your representative, to rule and subdue the world. That we are made for a very good purpose. We thank you that you have made us for loving and lasting relationships, even though some of us have been badly hurt. Sorry that as humans we have made a mess by not bothering with you and wanting to be you. But we want to thank you also that you did not give up on us and you are bothered with us. And so we thank you for your only son, Jesus Christ, that you sent to save us. So help us next week when we do the second question to recognize how precious this second and last chance is for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.